This is a classic podcast from Unqualified Gamers. Hear more at unqualifiedgamers.com. You mentioned this is the 300th episode, which means that we're contractually obligated to review, of course. Wait a minute. 300. Did 300. You, did you play Final Fantasy 13 too? Shh, f- you. <laughs> is that the game you're going to talk about today? Two also? No, I'm surprisingly not talking about that game anymore, as stated in our last episode. Well, we might find our way back to it. This is Unqualified, a video game podcast where two and a half people who are completely not qualified to talk about video games talk about video games. I'm one of your uh, one of your hosts, uh, Jonathan. This is Cody, the other host, and we actually have a yeah. special guest with us today. He's, he's our half. Yeah, well, I'd say three quarters, and you're probably a, a bit of a negative in there to balance that out. Thank so, you. So again, to two and a half, this is Blake on the other side. Blake Danger. I'm Blake Danger. So, what uh, what did you play? You know what, Blake, since you're since you're the new guy, why don't we start with you? What uh, what have you played because I hear you like video games as well. I do like video games. And he's completely unqualified as well. Don't yeah. forget 100% unqualified. So, what did you play? Well, I have a 3DS, unlike most of the rest of the world who doesn't care enough yet. That's not true. Probably I... never will. That actually is kind of true. I, I can even afford it now, and I still haven't bought one, but I, I intend to. Don't get me wrong. I love the 3DS, but I, I feel like most people are just not willing to take that extra step into the third dimension. Yeah, the last I've heard, though, is it's actually sold pretty darn well. So it's certainly better than the PS Vita. <laughs> oh, God. Zing. So anyway, you've got a 3DS. I do, and I got the uh, Resident Evil game. Resident Evil Revelations, not to be confused with Assassin's Creed Revelations, which came out within a month of it. <laughs> so, uh, is that like, is this a canon game? Is this like a. It obviously is, it is a canon it's, game. It's not a numbered one. No, but uh, neither was Code Veronica. Where does it's it fall in the series? It takes place between Resident Evil 4 and 5, and you play as a few different characters. Uh, I'm trying to remember who now, it's been so. How long ago did you play this game? Uh, whenever it first came out. Wasn't that like three months ago? No, it was maybe October or November. I don't know. Oh, God. Now, we should probably preface this by saying you are a big Resident Evil fan. Is that fair to say? I would say so. Kind of a Resident Evil fanboy. That's fine. So well, You're both. Aren't you one as well, John? Oh, absolutely. No, I love the Resident Evil series. Yeah, I love the Resident Evil series. But when you think about a Resident Evil game, you look for... Number one, being scared of it. Number two, some action. Number three, some adventure and exploring. And number four, some puzzles. This game was... The action was entertaining. And there was a bit of exploring, but I think where it fell a little short was there was not much exploring. As as far as Resident Evil games go, quite linear. Now... The you know previous Resident Evil games before four were all kind of tank controls, and then four came out and and exploded the series into something completely different, where it was all over the shoulder, third person shooting. What kind of what type of game is this? This is it's it's more like Resident Evil four and five, uh, over the shoulder. It's it had pretty good controls considering the limitations of being on a handheld system and not having the. Uh, Wii shooting control, which made Resident Evil 4 on the Wii the best Resident Evil game of all time. 
Uh, but the, but it, it works well for the action part of the game. Does it work and, with Does it work with that circle pad? Yeah. Yep. It's just like using it like an analog stick. It's kind of moving. Well, then why not just use Why not just have a second analog stick then? I mean, instead of a circle, what's the circle pad? Well, there's the circle there, pad is is like a better analog stick. It doesn't wear out. I guess I was referring to the Circle Pad Pro. Isn't there? Isn't there one that like goes on oh, the side, like an extra yeah. one? I think that I think this game predates that, and I've never used that in my life. Wait, okay. is this something you're touching on the screen, or is it an actual physical pad? I've never used it. What? What are we even talking about? I'm confused. It's a peripheral. It's but, a per- oh, okay, that explains all. We're talking about there's a okay, so there is a there's a single analog stick on the 3ds. Right. Uh, for those so. of you living in a cave. So there's a single analog stick on and the 3DS. The second dimension. <laughs> there, is, there is a new peripheral that came out basically close to Kid Icarus uh, that adds a second analog stick and about 30 pounds to your 3DS. That's a <laughs> really? lie. I, I don't think it adds 30 pounds. But it, 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 it makes it bulky. Uh, and it adds a second analog stick. And I think one battery lasts about 35 years or something. Some outrageous amount. But the point is, is you've, you've got an extra analog stick. Oh, all right. With an add-on. We were talking about both analog sticks and neither at the same time. Okay. but you, so you, <laughs> Does that you make only, sense now? Yeah, sure. So you only used one analog stick while right. playing this. And you said that the... the it, 3DS is a natural analog stick. Okay. All right. And then you said that the exploration was very linear, but how about... Did it scare you? You know, that, that was something you kind of are questioning when you first get the game, because it's on a small portable screen, which is going to be obviously a lot harder to instill fright in the player. But then it adds in the extra third dimension, which you would think maybe could make it better. I'd say it balanced out. It was it was creepy, but it never really scared you like Resident Evil 2 might. Yeah, and they've been moving away from scary. Like 4 had, yeah. some, had some great moments where stuff would, would occur behind you, and you'd have to turn very quickly. A lot of scary- they added ch- being chased. Yeah, a lot of scares came from that, but then five really kind of abandoned it almost yeah. altogether. So yeah, I heard five was much more of a shoot 'em up than uh, than you know less exploration and all that stuff. Point, the- point is, is it wasn't necessarily the most scary thing. Did you play it with headphones? Yes. Okay, I imagine that probably added a lot to it. It probably made it a bit better. Yeah. Okay, so explain this game. So there's different chapters. Like, how does this work? Yeah, it's pretty linear. It's 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 almost entirely within a single cruise ship. Um, so it's kind of limited in how much you can explore just from that. But then each chapter is a very limited amount of area. So there's, it's pretty much just get to the goal, maybe find a key card or something along the way, but definitely not much exploring. Are the puzzles good? The puzzles were pretty limited too. I can't remember a single puzzle in the game. I know they existed, but... Definitely not a high point of the game, and definitely falling short of previous Resident Evil titles. That's too bad, you'd think, because it, it would allow for some interesting stuff, I would think, with the touch screen mm-hmm. to do with some puzzles. So that's kind of, that's kind of a little too bad. Did you yeah, say there, you... There, there were some puzzles involving the touch screen, but they were pretty straightforward, and none of them were overly difficult or overly memorable. Now, did you say you were shifting perspectives, like different characters? You, you switch between a few different characters. There's one. One place that it was quite quite a uh, good game was the the story and the just kind of the plot of the game was pretty interesting. It involved a few different characters. You go back and forth between the different characters, and it was kind of like playing a movie, which was better than say 
the first couple of Resident Evil games where it was a pretty straightforward story through the perspective of one character. Sure, although some would argue that those Resident Evil games, while they are in one character, have a little more open open areas. I think actually linearity is one of the one of the biggest issues that people are are citing with more recent Resident Evil games that there is less to explore. Right. So I'm, speak, I'm talking just about the story. The, the story oh sure, was a lot okay, more dynamic in this one. I felt just with a lot of extra characters switching back and forth between them. Now you mentioned it's canon, you know, for for hardcore Resident Evil fans, this overarching story in like the the grand scheme of Resident Evil is very interesting and incredibly convoluted, but still very interesting. Right. I mean, does this call back to those people that you see in the main story of the game? Not many. Um, I think just because the spot it takes place is pretty. I mean, Resident Evil Four and Five have a huge gap in between them. The first few Resident Evil games all take place within the in a year or two of each other, and then 4 was a bit later, and 5 was much later, so this is kind of just thrown in between 4 and 5. and It has uh, Chris and Jill in it, but beyond that, it doesn't have too much to do with the overall story. So my question is, where does Resident Evil Nemesis fit in the storyline? And in addition, where does Resident Evil Outbreak fit into the storyline? Nemesis was just Resident Evil 3, wasn't it? I, I, unless you're referring to the movie, I was movie. referring to the but movie. Yes. I was referring to the movie. I think it's been it's been pretty clearly stated by by pretty much everyone that those movies have absolutely nothing to do with Even the people who've never played a Resident Evil game or seen a Resident Evil movie. Okay, I I think it's generally accepted among the community of everyone. Okay. Now I, I, have... I do want to ask the question on everyone's mind: uh, Do you think Mila Jovovich is hot? Hell no. I, we have. You have derailed it completely. This is absolutely... Is Mila Jovovich, Jokovic, is she in the game? Uh, she's a character, but not an actress in the game. Oh, all right. Yeah. Point is, is the game is, <laughs> is linear. Story is okay. Action is okay. Action was fun, but... Mo- monsters scary at all? Monsters were pretty uh, uninspired. Okay, because like that's one of the other cool things... Yeah. Uh, about Resident Evil games a lot of the time is just the enemy design can be, you know, it can be terrifying, it can be disgusting. Um, yeah, lickers, you. Yeah, so, I, I mean, that's one of the things that I think people, a lot of people look forward to in Resident Evil games is kind of what baddies are you going to yeah. be working on. I heard something about uh, aquatic-type stuff. Yeah, since the entire setting is on this cruise ship almost entirely, there are a lot of aquatic enemies, which... Which is, it makes for some interesting parts because part of the cruise ship will suddenly get flooded so all these swimming monsters will be chasing you, which is frightening. But um, there was one memorable giant sea creature boss, but beyond that it was, if you've played other Resident Evil games, there's not too many surprises in the enemies in this one. Is there water movement? Do you have to move through water? I think you mostly just walk through water. I don't think there's any swimming parts. Okay, because swimming parts can be very hit or miss, because I'm a big fan of, for example, the Ninja Gaiden 1 and 2 series, not to be confused with anything related to Ninja Gaiden 3. And while those are great games, there's a little bit of swimming in Ninja Gaiden 2 that I thought was really poorly done. So it can kind of derail a game if you've got like really bad controls in one portion for a certain reason. So that's good to hear. I mean, I've never played a Resident Evil game, and I don't plan on it, but were I to ever want to, that's good to hear that this game doesn't get derailed by aquatic controls. Now, in the grand scheme of things, you know, we, we talked about how the 3DS doesn't 
I guess in our maybe age group and our demographic, it doesn't feel like it's picked up a ton of steam. Do you think that this game kind of justifies the system, justifies the existence, justifies the need for 3D? No, but I think the game would have been much worse if it had not been in 3D. Wait, really? And having having had a 3DS, I was very happy to get this game, but I would not have bought a 3DS for this game. Okay. So it's good, but it's not amazing. Exactly. It's not a system seller. That's uh, that's uh, that's fair. That's fair. All right. Well, excellent. So pick it up if you have a 3DS and you like Resident Evil. Otherwise, uh, well put. Thank you. Back to you, John. Hey, so uh, what have you been playing this week? So I'll touch briefly on Diablo three because I have sunk far too many hours of my life into that game. How many is far too many? I'm I'm running down that rabbit hole of spreadsheets. Yeah, it's Wait, are you serious? Yeah, it's not good. It's what? not it's not Why good. It's, do you have spreadsheets? Because so it's not just a game. It's so a career. When you're in the game, right? When you're in the game, if you mouse over an item, it it gives you a really rough breakdown of how it's going to affect your total life your damage and your protection is the, the word that it uses. And it uses a pretty complex algorithm uh, in the game to figure this out. When you're looking at the auction house and you mouse over items, for some reason, this algorithm is not in place. And I don't know, I don't know why that is, but you can't, you can't really tell. If, and and if, you're, if you're trying to compare two pieces of gear and you're kind of being hardcore about it, you can't really tell if this piece of gear is better. Because there's right. no there's no stats telling you that, so that is unfortunately what this horribly nerdtastic spreadsheet is helping me with, is it's allowing me to get the most out of my gear. Um, I will say I've progressed a character to through Act Two of Inferno. Now Inferno is the fourth difficulty level. That's a second hardest, right? The hardest. This is the hardest difficulty level. Oh, I thought Nightmare was the hardest. No, Nightmare is the is the second difficulty level. Oh, okay. So this is the hardest difficulty level. It's where the best gear drops. You really have to eke the most out of your gear um, and kind of the most out of your build of abilities in order to progress anywhere in Inferno. So in order to do that and and not blow all of your money on single pieces of gear that aren't as good, you have to use spreadsheets. I feel like an idiot looking at a spreadsheet when I'm playing a video game. But there's just no other way for me, I think, to progress any further. Well, but d- now, now players' guide, strategy guides usually have tables with these things. Are there no strategy guides for Diablo Three? There are. The problem, though, is that there's there's no way to input the data of your current gear and then input what you might get to determine whether it's better. And th- that's such a dynamic thing; it kind of has to be done with on-the-fly calculation which wow. is what these spreadsheets are for. I know, it's, it's uh, like I said, I feel a little bad using it, but at the same time, it's the only way I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to progress. And I really kind of want to beat this game on Inferno. I don't know if I will ever do that, because it seems like I have sunk, I've probably sunk a quarter of the time that I've been playing this one character just into farming the first act of Inferno <laughs> to get better gear. Okay, wow. this being said, the auction house <laughs> itself has turned into a game for me. Um, I will state up front, I, I don't know if, I think we talked about the real money auction house in the game. In fact, we had a pretty long conversation about what that means. We did, because it costs, you can buy items for real money. I actually saw an article on a, on a social media website the other day that said, 
how to make money in Diablo 3. So, because now you can legitimately just get good items and sell them for real money. So I have been, been farming Act 1 for a single character, and I've been coming up with a lot of gear, a ton of gear. In fact, 95% to 99% of the gear is not even applicable to my character. Um, I will say up front, I have now made $31 on Diablo. So I am slowly... Is that including the cost of the game? Uh, no, 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 no. I'm still down for the cost of the game. Uh. But the point is, is like I would be playing this game anyway, and I think we talked about this the last time. Is I, I knew I'd be playing the game anyway because I really, really like the game. It kind of, it like something doesn't really feel right about it, but it literally is money that's getting transferred into my PayPal account, which, <laughs> like, I, it doesn't. It just seems. It feels odd. That you're playing yeah. a game and getting money for it, but the, the the point is, is the the auction house is working finally. It is probably not working as well as it should. It is hard to find gear, um, and there's this just this really interesting. Uh, it's it's a very mic. It's a microcosm of an economy, right? So it's just it's very interesting to me that they can tweak things on their end a little bit to really adjust a true kind of self-contained economy, right? Right. Um, and what I, what I kind of mean is they just came out with a patch, and it was patch 1.0.3, big content patch. They changed and tweaked a ton of stuff. And one of the things that they changed was they modified attack speed on items. Now, this is going to be... Uh, very niche when I start talking about this, but I'll, then I'll talk about it in a grander scheme of things so it'll make more sense. Sure. But attack speed was the best stat on, on offensive gear for characters. So people just stacked it on all, their, on all their gear, and it was by far the most coveted stat. It is what people were paying the most for. Well, they halved it on every piece of gear. So all gear has now half the amount of attack speed because that's how good it was. Wow. Now, you think about this. The Real Money Auction House was live before they made this change. Think about the implication of somebody who spent $30 on a piece of gear with a bunch of improved attack speed on it. Right, of course. Which then gets nerfed at once this content patch hits. I mean, you can, you can, almost, you can almost feel like you, you know, well, you would. You would feel like you, you got gypped pretty hard. Oh, yeah, I can, yeah. Hear, the, I can hear the hardcore yeah. fans screaming right. in, in agony. Fa- in fact, there are, there are people who once, like when this happened, they were threatening to like press charges. Yeah. Now, that being said, they warned people of this weeks in advance that it was going to be getting changed. Not to mention every time they change something and they put out a new patch, they make you agree to an EULA, an end user license agreement. Mm-hmm. And in that, it basically says we can change stuff at any time and there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, that's pretty much what it says in the EULA. So people have no foot to stand on, but it just shows you the power that they have in this system where people are willing to pay real money for stuff and they can just change whatever the hell they want. Wow. It reminds me of Facebook. Facebook just does whatever the f*** it wants. You heard it here first, folks. Facebook and Diablo 3, pretty much the same thing. Pretty much. Pretty much. So that's kind of all I want to say about Diablo 3. I'm going to continue to play it because, like I said, I really want to work through the entire game on Inferno just to kind of get that badge of honor. And if I make money along the way, whatever, right? Yeah. You'll make more money than you'll make through Facebook. That's probably true. 
That's very true. Well, cool. I, I want to stop you there for a second because I do want to talk a little bit about Final Fantasy thirteen two now. Uh, so, so that's, just a, kidding. that's a game you played this week, right? Just kidding. Shut up. No, I don't actually want to talk about my game yet. I want you to talk about your other game. Sure. The other game that I played, uh, and it's freaking awesome, is Magic the Gathering 2013 Planeswalker Extra Special Ultra Deluxe Hyperdimensional Mega Neptune Edition. I don't think that that's what it's called. I think it's just called Magic the Gathering 2013 Planeswalker something. Oh my god, my roommate plays a Magic the Gathering game on his 360 all the time. And it did come out for 360. I think it's out for almost all devices. However, this is the first year that they have released it for iOS. And as you know, I've got an iPad. Ah. And what what better type of game for a touch screen like an iPad like that than a freaking card game where you slide a card up to throw it into the play area. You tap it once to tap the card. I mean, it's perfect controls. It is the perfect type of game for an iPad. Yeah. I, I bought 2012 about six months ago, the, the Magic the Other in 2012. And the way this game is set up is – there's a, there's a campaign mode where you're given decks of cards just like Magic. And if you don't know anything about Magic the Gathering, it's a collectible card game where you buy booster packs of cards for chances at rares, uncommons, like ultra rares, foil cards. And out of these cards that you buy, you can buy as many as you want, and then you make a deck of cards out of this, uh, out of these cards that you buy. And your deck can be of any size and any type. Um, and so in kind of separate separate yourself away from the video game space it's a game where people can spend a ton of money to make these ultra decks and people do spend a lot of money and they enter tournaments with them and it's it's a very a, a, a kind of a standard collectible card game type thing but it was kind of the first so it's been around forever it's been around since i was a kid if not before that um in fact i can remember playing when i was like eight with my brother so magic has been around for a very long time and these, uh, it has come out with myriads of expansions, myriads of, of extra rules and stuff. So the beauty of, ma- of Magic as a card game, though, is that it is ultra simple at its base. And then they just start tacking on rules on top of that. And you can really get as complicated as you want to go in terms of kind of what you have. Easy to learn, but hard can, to master. Kind of. You can kind of think of it that way. I do. So and I will. The, And I want you to continue to. So the way this game is set up is you play one of the planeswalkers, which Magic has some weird backstory I don't know anything about. But you play you play a a planeswalker. In this one, you start off as a as like an elemental fire, basically. In the game before this one, I I think you were a forest. You were a planes guy. You were a guy that was in charge of white magic. So anyway, and you start off with a base deck of sixty cards, and they pitch you on kind of a campaign path so you'll start off fighting another planeswalker if you beat that planeswalker you unlock another deck of cards that you can then play as that planeswalker as you progress so there's this slow kind of methodical unlocking system where you're going to unlock new decks and kind of explore new ways to play so if you ever were going to get into the the actual card game you'd get an idea of the synergy between cards, kind of a baseline of where you'd want, where you could make a deck. Um, so you're going to be unlocking new decks as you play, and the AI is great. The AI pulls no punches. Um, they don't play anything stupid. So 
you you need to play a good game of magic to beat them. But not only are you unlocking new decks, within each deck, every single time that you beat a challenge, whether it be another Planeswalker or an encounter, which there are encounters, you unlock another extra card that fits into the side deck of the deck. So you can then take a deck, for instance, that's 60 cards. Every single time you win, it unlocks another card, of which there are 30 you can unlock, to then mix and match your own decks. So you're building your own decks just like in real life. Exactly. Only you've got a, a set of 90 cards with which to build the deck. But it's for every single Planeswalker deck. And I think in the in in last year's game that I played, and I played a good 25 to 30 hours of oh, it. Wow. Um, because there's there's so much to unlock. But I think in last year's game, uh, there were about 10 different decks. And I think there's going to be even more in this one. So if you think about the amount of content, of, content that's there, you've got 10 at least 10 different decks in which you've got, you'd have to beat 30 different challenges with each deck to unlock every single deck. So I have a question. So magic's been around forever, right? So they've got how many magic cards are, are active and legal in tournament play right now? Do you know? Like maybe 1,800? I, I don't. I don't okay, follow but, it. But let's say like 2,000, maybe 2,500. Maybe I'm overshooting it, but whatever. Kind of sounds like a number you're pulling right out of your ass. Yes, Go ahead. it is. So, uh, so let's say... You said there was a game that came out last year, right? So what would they change from one year to the next? Like, was there one expansion released and they incorporated the cards from that expansion? Or did they just build different decks and, and redesign the AI? Like, how do they update that that quickly? That's a that's a good question. Um, I I really don't know. I haven't kind of played enough of it to to get a sense of what they've changed. I will say, like, there were... Like I said, there were about 10 different decks in the last game. Um, there's a, you know, there, there's a red deck I'm playing with now that is different than the red deck that was in the last game. So the decks are different. I imagine that they, that they probably add in whatever expansions they've released in this game, mm-hmm. um, as well as any new legal cards that are out there, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm assuming those are in there. And there's a more integrated online com- or online and multiplayer component of this game and that's pretty apparent getting in and out of matches online seems very easy ah now that's so, huge gosh if i could have played customizable card games back in the day online that would have been so nice yeah and this is such a great proposition for people that are intimidated by the 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 amount of money that it can cost to get into magic and feel competitive like it in order to get into the real card game space, if you want to get like serious about it, you got to sink lots of money into Five it. Five or six hundred bucks, probably. Yeah, again, right out of your ass. The <laughs> no, video. That, game, hey, listen, hold on. I I'm sitting about ten feet away from well over twelve to fifteen hundred dollars worth of Star Wars and Star Trek cards released by Decipher back in the uh, in the mid 90s. So I I know my customizable card games and, and and knowing booster and starter prices, I think 5 to 600 dollars is a reasonable estimate for for getting serious into magic. And really the value of that investment you've got there is just going to go up and you up. You know what? So, I'm going to sell them this year at an auction and then we'll see who's laughing when I have 50 bucks cash on my pocket. So <laughs> the the point is is they have uh one of the great things about this for the people that are intimidated by 
spending $1,500 on Star Wars cards is you have a self-contained deck. There's no outside cards that are brought into these decks. Right. So if you're going to play online with other people, short of them playing with the same deck over and over and unlocking that side deck that the, that they can then customize the deck with, uh, you will have equal decks for the most part. Okay. And so everyone will kind of be competitive. It'll just be based on luck and then your ability to play the game. So it, it's great. Um, if you like magic, like I said, the rules are super simple. It's basically you get mana out there per turn. You use it to, to cast spells or put creatures out and attack the, the opponent. You make them go down to zero life or get rid of their deck, and that's the game. Um, and then again, they just layer on rules on top of that. And the other great thing, the last thing I'll mention is uh, the tutorial system, which it's gets so screwed up with board games that they try to translate to iPad or other card games that try to translate to iPad, the tutorial is fantastic. Really? It is fantastic. If you know nothing about magic, the tutorial will walk you through everything. I sat through the tutorial, even though I know, I, I kind of know everything there is to know about magic from playing the last game. But I sat through it anyway, just to see kind of how it was, just so I could talk about it. And it's great. So if you don't know anything about Magic, for 10 bucks you can get this game. You can get crazy amount of content. Um, if you like playing card games, you can play it online. Um, there's definitely a community aspect to Magic just in general. So I would highly recommend it. I think it's great. Now, uh, you mentioned that it was 10 bucks. Is that for the iPad or any console? I don't know. I haven't checked out pricing and other stuff. I'll only have it for iPad. So you're just pulling uh, all this out of your ass is what you're saying. I'm sure there's a Steam sale going on right now that makes it $3 <laughs> because there's always there's always a Steam sale. I was actually about to say that. I'm, I'm like, I bet you get it for $0.75 cents on Steam because that's just how Steam works. Right. Uh, in, fact, in fact, the last time I bought Magic, I bought Magic 2012 on a Steam sale for like $4. So it it will go down in price eventually. But you can get it on any system. It sounds like you can get it on Xbox. I'm, I'm imagining then that means there's a PS3 version. Mm. I know there's a PC version. And like I said, this is the first year they've had an, an iOS version. version. Wow. So, and maybe there's an Android one. Probably not because Android sucks. But you oh, know, look at you. Look at you. Is there one on the BlackBerry? Because Blake has a BlackBerry, and he really likes playing games on it. God, I just hope there's a 3DS version. And who knows? Maybe there is. So that's that's magic. I'll probably be playing it quite a bit because it's easy to get in, play a game in 10 minutes, and then be done. Wow. Get in 10 minutes, and you're done. What does that remind you of, Blake? Uh, eating four Hot Pockets. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Correct. Hey, I played a game too. Was it Final Fantasy Thirteen? Son of a bitch. Uh, surprisingly, no. No, I've been very excited about this. It is a role-playing game. I'm 15 hours into it. Yeah, you teased this on the last show. I did. I, I did tease it. Oh, I teased it hard. Uh, I am playing through Chrono Trigger Flames of Eternity. I don't know what this is. Uh, so, Flames of Eternity uh, is a fan mod of the original Chrono Trigger game. Uh, so I'm playing this on my Super Nintendo emulator. Uh, Chrono Trigger, as many of us know, is one of the greatest games of all time. Can I get a consensus, Blake? Agreed. Agreed? Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. so uh, on the Super Nintendo, one of the greatest games of all time. And then Square Enix released Chrono Cross a long while later, 
and it got good reviews, but I I wasn't satisfied. It was it was such a departure from the original game. It was good in and of itself, but as a sequel to Chrono Trigger, it didn't cut it. <laughs> it as an aside, though, the battle system of that game was fantastic. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was. The load time not so good, but we won't talk about Chrono Cross. Sure. Uh, um, that game, it, well, we'll talk about it a little bit because in Chrono Cross, uh, minor spoiler alert, I believe they, they kill off all the main characters of the original Chrono Trigger in the first 15 to 20 minutes of Chrono Cross. I mean, they just, it's, it's just, uh, they basically explain, oh yeah, they all died in a fire or something along those lines. And, uh, and then you don't interact with any of those characters save for one who you have to, like, find secretly. It, it's very convoluted and, and has nothing to do storyline-wise with the original Chrono Trigger, which is disappointing. Um, so, uh, with Chrono Cross Long Gone, uh, uh, about five years ago, I believe now, uh, a team of just, you know, regular people took the project of creating a quote-unquote true Chrono Trigger sequel. The game was designed to be an interquel, which... I don't think is a word, but whatever, but an interquel between Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross, and the hack was entitled Crimson Echoes. And so Crimson Echoes, they developed new texts, a completely new storyline, new sprites, uh, rewrote a bunch of stuff. It's not, it's not just Chrono Trigger reskinned and rewritten. It is a completely different game. And the game was 98% complete, it was like the middle of May a couple years ago, and they were scheduled to release the final version like in 10 days, and they received a cease and desist order from Square Enix. So they had to stop with Crimson Echoes immediately, and they never released a final version, and that was that. Well, suddenly, about a year or two later, uh, another group picked up, they, they found a quote-unquote accidentally leaked version of the beta of Crimson Echoes, and they decided to kind of restart it and call it Flames of Eternity. And now, it was not endorsed by the Crimson Echoes team, but they, they just kind of opened it up. Um, they opened it for beta testing earlier this year, and all storylines are completed, supposedly. They're just tweaking some difficulty and bug fixes and small glitches. Um, but again, it's a completely new storyline, new sprites, new text, new dungeons, and supposedly over 30 hours of gameplay. So this is a full-length feature sequel to Chrono Trigger. Uh, and I don't know who these people are, but they must be the biggest Chrono Trigger fans in the world because they have done it absolute justice. Really? I am 15 hours into this game, and I feel like I'm playing Chrono Trigger again. Like, I, I actually literally just got goosebumps talking about it. Um, from, from the dialogue to the battle system to everything, it just feels like they did everything right. Um, like I mentioned, I'm, I'm 15 hours into it. The storyline is not convoluted. The storyline, uh, picks up five years after the events of Chrono Trigger. There is still time travel involved. Uh, you start in 1005 AD, Chrono and Marl are kind of, you know, hanging out in the kingdom. They're kind of in charge of Guardia-ish. You know, the king is still there, though. Uh, Luca is just hanging out. And there's a little political trouble brewing between Guardia and Por, which is the southern area. And uh, and some stuff goes down, and a gate suddenly opens. And they're like, uh-oh, <laughs> what's this all about? Uh, they go back in time, and uh, what happens is um, King Zeal, I believe you'll remember from the first game, uh, King Zeal, it turns out, is not dead. He's able to kind of travel through time at a whim. 
Uh, he's just like in and of himself a powerful time traveler somehow. He steals the Massamoon from uh, the Ocean Palace time era, and he steals it for whatever purpose, and that throws everything out of shift with time. Now, since Chrono and Luca and Marl and, and everybody have already traveled through time, they are kind of immune to these time-changing effects, and they notice, like, hey, things are suddenly different. What's going on? Uh, and then they get recruited by Melchior and Balthazar in the future to uh, to kind of help them do some time-traveling reconnaissance. So the way the game is set up makes sense. Uh, they set up alternate timelines. And you remember Back to the Future 2 when Doc Brown draws on the chalkboard and he draws the straight line, this is our time, and then the loop, uh, you know, it dips down and he's like, this is the alternate timeline? So is this kind of the, is this kind of a similar time travel to Final Fantasy thirteen two? And I'm not even trolling you right now. <laughs> I, I mean, seriously, is it kind of the same timeline I setup? I guess you could say that. I, I would say not so much, um, because every year you travel to is five years in the future. So you go to 605 AD, 1005 AD, uh, 2005 AD, because it's uh, after the year of Lavos is coming. Um, and then, of course, there's the end of time as well. So it's, it's not quite like that. Really what it is is basically um, it's the same timeline throughout. It's just one thing changed in the past and something that kind of flipped the switch and everything got slightly disrupted from there. Uh, but but it all makes sense. I, I don't need to go into that much detail, but really what I'm saying basically is the storyline makes sense. Um, it starts out... I've, I've read a complaint somewhere that they think that it's a bit dialogue-heavy and a bit story-heavy, but you, know, you could say that about the original Chrono Trigger, possibly, because none of the dungeons were really, really, really long or extensive, you know? Uh, it, it, I think it, it really had a very steady rhythm of, you know, a little bit of exploring, a little bit of dungeoning, uh, you know, then some storyline, then some dungeoning, then some storyline. And this this game does that too. Uh, you start with, uh, like I said, Chrono, Luca, and Morrow, but it very quickly transitions to Magus because you have to be able to play as Magus because everybody loves Magus. Uh, and, and then you just, you know, you go around time and, and fix some things. Eventually, later on in the game, you get the Neo Epoch, so you can fly around just in the Epoch. But there's some really interesting stuff that they did. Um, in 605 AD, because the timeline has shifted, you end up with another mystic rebellion from the mystics. And you actually get into a forest, and there are battle advisors, and you actually get to choose whether you want to support the people of Por or the mystics that are kind of rebelling or stay neutral. And whichever side you choose in that battle permanently affects everything in 1005 AD. So it's it sounds it sounds like because if if your characters are five years older like this, you know it sounds like uh, they they're gonna be slightly more adult, right? In the first game, I think they were sixteen, sixteen or seventeen. Mm-hmm. So now now you're looking at like twenty one, twenty two. Yeah. Um, does does the stuff that they're doing does it feel more adult does it feel more mature honestly the dialogue is is very very well written um i i used to be a copywriter and i have not found one single typo in the whole game which pleases me to no end uh after i started playing this game i decided to experiment and just see what other mods were out there and and i grabbed another one and just started playing it for some other rpg and i noticed like six typos in the first five minutes of the game and i'm like okay i I can't handle this um so um but it's very well written the dialogue and the entire tone of all the dialogue is so similar to the original chrono trigger 
like there's a house where you go into in poor, I believe, and or no, it's actually in in uh, the prehistoric era, not the prehistoric era. It's in the zeal time. I'm sorry, in the zeal time period, the ice age. Dark Ages. The Dark Ages. Thank you, Blake. Uh, you go in the Dark Ages, and a guy in the hut says something along the lines of, this is the greatest warrior ever, but he's gone now. Our tribe is doomed. You know, something very grim, very storyline appropriate. And if you go over to his daughter and talk to her, she says, God, Dad, you're so overdramatic all the time, or something along those lines. It's very, like, kind of, you know, like, realistic, but also kind of pokes fun, like a light kind of, of tone. And things like that, like, I absolutely feel like I'm playing the original Chrono Trigger. It, it's just, all of the writing is like that. And, uh, you know, Marl's writing is still good. I like having Luca in my party because she just, she sounds like Luca. You know, no one seems seems different or really more mature. Uh, if you want to talk about dialogue, though, the biggest difference with this game is that Chrono talks in this game. And Chrono is given a voice throughout the game. Mm. Yeah, and I had that exact same reaction. I was not a fan of that at first. I understand from a programming standpoint, especially since from the start of this game, you're basically able to switch party members. Because, you know, in the, in the last game, you had a fixed party, more or less, for a lot of the game. But in this one, you... Or at least Chrono was fixed. In this game, you don't have to have anyone in your party a lot of the time. So from a programming standpoint, it would probably have been very difficult to not have Chrono have any dialogue, and they would have had to tweak some things. Um, at first, I didn't like it. But the the more he talks, the more amused I am. And they write him kind of like... Like a Goku-like character, like kind of just a little bit oblivious uh, and and just kind of like tongue-in-cheek. And I think it's cute and I think it fits. So I'm okay with it. To be fair, I mean, you know, the original Chrono Trigger was made in a 90... 95, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say 94, but yeah. close, close to that year. Mm-hmm. Um and that was a period of time where the silent protagonist of a third-person role-playing game was very common. Mm-hmm. I can't think of it. I was just trying to think of that while you were talking of an example of a more recent game with a silent third-person yeah. protagonist. And I can't think of one. Yeah. So it could just be the evolution of game design where, I mean, it just doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah, and that's true as well. Um, one thing that did strike me in terms of when we're talking about programming is they still have a lot of events where you talk to a character and if a certain character is in your party, they react directly to that character. You know, like if you go to Chrono's house and you talk to his mom, you know, you'll talk and then you close the last dialogue box and then a new one opens up that says, oh, and Chrono, you know, like, remember your milk or whatever she says. You know, so those little extra lines, they pepper that in with Magus all over the Dark Ages. They pepper that in with uh, Robo when you're in the future. Um, so they did such a good job of customizing it. And Frog is a human in this game. So they they created new sprites for Frog. Uh, frog is a frog in, in the previous game. And now he's Glenn. And Glenn is a human. All of his texts and dual texts work totally fine. Uh, I have not encountered any errors with graphics in terms of that or anything, so they did a great job. The one minor oversight is that when you're on the overworld map, it still is frogs, sprites walking around, which I think is kind of odd considering that that's like three sprites you have to draw. Shouldn't be that hard, especially if you've done all the battle stuff, but whatever, you know, it's a fan-made game, I can't complain. Um... But that's good. And whenever you have Glenn and Magus in your party, they fight like Vegeta and Goku. 
they're just always arguing. You know, Glenn will say something and Megas will say, you know, I could, I, I'm going to kill you for myself. And he'll say, bring it, you know, stuff like that. So there's just, there's witty banter. It's smart. Uh, you know, it's not an overly convoluted storyline. And it does bridge the gap because they actually talk about elementals. They actually introduce elementals in this game. And elementals are the magic system used in Chrono Cross. They talk about elementals in this game as they're introduced as kind of like a, a manufactured weapon that one uh, kingdom is using against another. And the plot device for King Zeal's, you know, amazing power and able to travel through time is that he's utilizing the frozen flame, which was the central plot point in Chrono Cross. It was the, the like, magic artifact. So... It's just so smart. It's smart and it's clever and it's fun. The difficulty level is more balanced than it was in in Chrono Trigger. Because Chrono Trigger, the only major fault with Chrono Trigger is it was a very easy game. It was. Incredibly easy game. And this this game does a lot better job of it. Now, they're still tweaking the difficulty levels and they're still, you know, it's not a, a done deal. So there are still things to tweak. Um, right now, I... I have noted, I, I noted the first few hours of the game were substantially harder than the original Chrono Trigger, but it's gotten a bit easier. And the, part of the problem is Magus is just inherently a broken character. That He can cast Fire 2, Ice 2, and Lightning 2 off the bat, and it cost him two magic points to use any of those. Okay, I, I, I had to grind recently to get Chrono to learn Lightning 2, and that costs eight magic points. <laughs> so... There's no reason to not have Magus in your party. <laughs> um, I actually took him out of my party and attempted a boss, and the boss crushed me within, like, one round. Uh, then I put Magus in my party, and I won. So it, it's, it's, they, they do have some rebalancing to do, but, you know, you can challenge yourself by not using Magus, so that's kind of a plus. And they, don't, uh, they also don't give you every option at the start of the game. Like, I still can't use Isla. Which I thought was an interesting choice of all the characters, because um, she's pretty powerful. So it's just well balanced. And and are you aware uh, that there were two unreleased musical tracks in the soundtrack? I didn't know that. You did know that. I did not. Oh, you did not. Okay. Uh, yeah. There was an there was an alternate battle theme they never used, and there was. A... Oh, you know what? I have heard the alternate mm -hmm. battle theme. Yeah, and there's also one more track called "Singing Mountain" uh, that was supposed to be used for a mountain. And they use them in this game. Oh, really? Game. Yeah, yeah, they use them in this game. You go to the prehistoric era, and there's a mountain called Singing Mountain, and you go into it, and they're playing the music. And Wait, is there, a, is there a track of music called Singing Mountain that is meant for a mountain? I, apparently. And, and, and why not call it the Singing Mountain? Blows my mind. I know, right? Um, and the alternate battle music is used in a coliseum, because they set up a coliseum in the future era. Uh, and the future... I love that you can... You can now travel around the future, 2005, which, I mean, back in the day, you know, the only time you saw 1999 AD was when Lavos popped out of the ground and killed everybody. And, and as a kid, I don't know if it was just me, I always wanted to just walk around that era, you know? I just thought it would be the coolest thing. And now you can. Well, sure. That's because it was around our contemporary time. Right. It was like Lavos, it would be like walking around our neighborhood with Lavos. Bursting from the ground. Right, yes, but I actually, in 1999, in real life, all I can remember is Lavos bursting out of the ground. <laughs> He's right. Um, so, but you can walk around in now 2005, and there's a full coliseum with a couple different difficulty levels. You can fight as a single person or as a party. Uh, there's battle points they give you, and the highest amount of battle points, the highest reward available is just called Rainbow, which I'm assuming is a rainbow component for a sword. Um, 
And uh, yeah, there's also they also incorporate Johnny in the future, and Johnny works at a giant shopping mall in the future, and uh, you can go on scavenger hunts for Johnny. So that's a little side quest there. I have found thus far that the game is is sadly lacking in side quests, which was one of the best parts of the original Chrono Trigger. To be fair, yeah. in the original Chrono Trigger, you there were no side quests until the very end of the game, and then it was all the side quests. Okay. So who knows if it maybe is not set up the same way. Yeah, and that's true. That's that is very fair, yeah. Um so yeah, I haven't encountered you know much yet, but there but there should be. Um and yeah, it uh the Colosseum is there so but there's still a little bit of content. There there's a good amount of content that that they've created and it's just it's just been nice so far. And the other nice thing about a fan-made game is they they can get away with using copyrighted content. <laughs> And uh, and kind of poking fun at, at things a little bit. Uh, if you go into the Millennial Fair grounds in uh, 1005 AD, it's no longer the Millennial Fair, but it's still there. And you can talk to a guy, and he just says like 405 error bit bit dot dot dot, dot and he says some weird things. And then he's like, "Oh, I'm like Ash. I help program this part of the game. Thanks for playing or whatever." You know, they don't put an, a lot of that in there, which is nice because then you can still kind of get in the game. It's not like they stuck a, a developer in every house, <laughs> which is really nice. So I like that they did it in moderation. But what's kind of fun is they, they've named the weapons. I've heard, I read somewhere that uh, several of the weapons for one of the characters are Doctor Who references. Uh, I've not gotten there yet. But there's also some, like, ancient Japanese swords that, that Magus uses that they've named after uh, different mythological beasts than Square used. And and uh, they just have a lot of little Easter eggs in there. There's some fun stuff. At one point, somebody says, yes, we need to go back to the future. And after back to the future, it says TM in parentheses. Just, you know, because. Um, so there's just some fun little stuff. And it's it's awesome. It's it's free. <laughs> um I have a. I modded my Wii, so I'm able to use an SNES emulator on my Wii, and uh, I've been playing it on my Wii, and I just feel like I'm sitting there playing the the you know 17 years in the making, long awaited like legitimately well received sequel to Chrono Trigger. For our listeners, the creators of Unqualified Podcast do not endorse nor condone the the modding of Wiis. Yeah. However, <laughs> if you find yourself with a modded Wii. Go ahead and play this game on it. Or any emulator, you know. And emulators in and of themselves are legal. I just don't think ROMs are. Um, but I think this one might be because uh, it... Of the, I mean, I don't care because I own a physical hard copy of Chrono Trigger. So if you own a copy of the game, then you're allowed to have a ROM of it, is my understanding, as a backup copy. So I'm not going to be in any legal trouble for this or whatever. So so how do how do they deal with the what I would think would be the inherent Metroid moment at the beginning of the game where you are stripped of all your powers because obviously at the end of Chrono Trigger you are going to have incredibly powerful uh, you know, powerful equipment and powerful abilities. Does does uh, Ripley come in and smash you against a wall? Uh, and then... No, sir, unfortunately. That would be fantastic. Um, it... Uh... They do a good job of that with Magus. They, they, they address that directly with Magus because Magus has been wandering around looking for Shala for five years because that's what he does. They don't really address it with Chrono, Marl, and Luca, although you know they've taken kind of more leadership roles in the kingdom. So it, it's a general feeling that they're just kind of out of practice and they need to retrain themselves. 
like a boxer that's been retired for five years that wants to get back in the ring. He's got to kind of work himself back up. Kind of lame. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they may have also mentioned something about time travel affecting it, but I'm not sure. Uh, so, you know, I, and there may be something coming out in the translation. I thought it was a good enough reason, you know. And considering that, I mean, these are homebrewers, you know. These are people that are just reprogramming a game. They don't. They they probably don't have the ability to program new texts and new graphics for everything and, and new skills and all that stuff. Uh, I think that the amount of you know effort it would take to actually achieve any of that stuff would would just be it's it's just unrealistic. I was kind of just trolling you. Well, you can go f- yourself. So you know, there's that. Um, but I highly recommend this game. And you know what? I believe they're actually. Sometime in June or July this year, uh, 2012, they're supposed to be releasing another update. So um, presumably save files will not be transferable between these versions of the game. So, you know, check out the website. If you Google Chrono Trigger Flames of Eternity, you'll come up with tons of matches. Just wait until a, a version has just been released and then download it and just play it. And it's it's a delight. It, I've been waiting for this for years. It's freaking awesome. <laughs> Uh, you know, there's, there's, I've laughed out loud at the game at least three times because the dialogue is just clever and quippy. Uh, the gameplay is fun. The equipment is great. I am definitely going to finish this game. The only one weird buggy part, there was one, uh, part in the game where a battle would freeze the game. So I just avoided that monster. That's the only time that's happened the whole game, 15 hours in. And the music is weird. Um, I don't think it's my emulator because like half of the tracks in the in the soundtrack are the exact same as the original. Sounds great. Sure. Just like emulated. The other half, I feel like they changed an instrument or two in the music file and it, it's very it's kind of weird. Uh like the the Tirano Castle music starts with the organ sounds really cool, but then they change a couple instruments. So it's still the same song, but it's just like different MIDI instruments like if you change something in Mario Paint. And there's also a kind of weird like like, like, uh, can you do that again? Yeah, like those sound effects, like while listening to some of the tracks, because they just kind of like break. So the music is a little wonky at times, uh, but just as long as they're also dog instruments, like in Mario Paint. <laughs> yes, no, it's all about cats in Chrono Trigger, you know that, you know that. Oh, and Alphador is a playable character, excellent. Um, that's not true. But um, but other than the music being a little a little janky at times, uh, like I said, the graphics are great. It's just it's awesome, and I, I've actually gotten I after playing a bunch of this game, I did go on a couple websites and downloaded some other ROM hacks for some other games, and you will definitely be hearing about some uh, custom ROMs in the near future. Blake and I are actually kind of tag teaming one right now that should be pretty entertaining for listeners in our next podcast. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's a delight. Definitely download it. It's free. You can't beat that price. Sounds like fun. You know, I like, I like the idea behind this. Like, I, I love the, I love the, the fact that this is just like a a labor of love for people. They were getting absolutely really nothing out of this. Mm -hmm. I mean, other than maybe a slight bit of recognition, I, I would imagine that there, maybe there would be some company that would see this and pick up some of these programmers but the point is is like it's it's mostly just like a labor of love right and it's it's just people that loved it so much that they felt like they needed to continue on the story for whatever reason which i think is great i think that's awesome yeah it is and and you can tell that they put a lot of thought into it it's not just like a 
a shove everything in front of you for a fan service kind of a thing. It's like, we thought of a well-thought-out storyline. It's patient. It doesn't feel like they throw in cameos, you know? It's not like you start as Magus and Glenn and you're fighting Ozzy and Slash and Flea and Lavos and using, like, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't shove things in your face like, yeah, here's the cameo you wanted, you know? It, it's very smart and very well done, and it, it just, the writing is extraordinary. Um, so you should definitely check it out, because, I, uh, can you get I have on the iPad? I have an important question. Yes. Are there fat loots to click on? I don't know what that all means. All right, well, all right, then, then I'm, then I'm not gonna play it, sorry. I don't know what that means, but yes. In my pants. And with that, uh, on that note, uh, that was fun. So go to... That'll probably do it. That'll probably do it <laughs> for uh, for this particular podcast. That will definitely do it. So um, check out unqualified.podbean.com and um, leave some comments and stuff. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Tweet at us. I've been, tweeting, I have been, I've been tweeting actual video game stuff at you lately. Yeah, you know what? I've noticed that. I think I retweeted you once. You can follow me. Uh, I don't do a lot of tweeting necessarily i probably should do more about video games but it is what it is you can follow me it's at eat play game all one word uh yeah i'm at producer cody blake what's your twitter handle twitter handle i'm not on twitter oh uh so you tweet blake at at i'm not on twitter was that i'm, I'm not on yep. twitter okay. that's it yeah do that tweet blake at that uh name several times and just see what happens and then post about it on our, on our page. Or tweet at us about it. Retweet yourself at I'm not on Twitter, at producer Cody, at Eat Play Game, RT, colon, slash, slash, HTTP, HTML, hyper combo finish. And thanks for joining us.